on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil. I hope you're well, and I hope you're ready for what is quite the ride with Jonathan Madness. I was so lucky to get a last second booking with him when he's in the middle of so much press, and so much kind of chaos of a new show launching, a new show Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness on Netflix. It's really, really fun and really good. And you should definitely check it out. And uh, and traveling and just being so busy and made time for me in all of that and sat down and had probably the most authentic heart to heart I've had on this podcast. Just bared his whole soul for us and talked to me about so many important and beautiful issues, as well as some things that were really difficult to say and I admire him so much for just saying them with so much like honesty and humanity. It's a side to Jonathan that maybe not all of us have seen very much and and a side that is important to see to understand someone's whole humanity uh, beyond just the persona that maybe we have grown to understand them by or maybe we enjoy and it's just it was so beautiful that I was left kind of like tingling afterwards. So we talk about things like Jonathan being bullied at school or Jonathan's experience with drugs and and sex and uh, and sadness and mental health and being diagnosed so young with HIV in a time where we had no real like representation around it, not enough information, so much stigma, so little access to any kind of healthcare, which so many people are still in that situation. But Jonathan explains to me that that scenario of, of what that was like, where there was no support system for that how to deal with that, how to deal with then coming out and talking about that publicly to stop other people from feeling that shame and stigma. Just such a, such a unique individual. You know, I've been in this industry 15 years almost, I think, I don't know, 13 years, 15 years, I can't keep track anymore. And I've met a lot of people. And even the ones who maybe say the right thing online or whatever, or don't say anything at all, they don't really give a fuck about any of you. Like, about any other people, about anyone other than themselves. And Jonathan cares so much about the people that are listening to him and following him or, you know, reaching new people to make them feel less alone and whatever their experience is and making them not feel soaked in shame the way that people have tried to soak him in shame. And it's just fucking so unusual for someone to have such a big and open, vulnerable heart and to maintain that big, open, vulnerable heart after getting loads of success and fame. And I really like the little kid in me just looks up to Jonathan so, I mean, the adult me looks up to Jonathan too, but wishes that I'd had Jonathan to watch on TV. And I feel really jealous of young people who get to do that now. Um, One of the things we also discuss on this podcast, I didn't expect to talk about because there's a big controversy that was happening uh, in the last week or so since Jonathan's new show dropped. And I'm not a parasite who likes to um, 
pick away at someone right in the middle of that moment. And so I uh, sort of mentioned it in passing, expecting to gloss over it. And Jonathan just really went there with me about the full entire 360 degree context of regarding the situation that is currently happening, which is that he has this excellent new show on Netflix, Getting Curious, and and he's exploring all kinds of like fascinating different things with just such an unpretentious and open heart. And in, it's, and it's so enlightening and so fun. And you don't even realize you're learning while you're watching it. But there is an episode on snacking. And in that episode on snacking, uh, amongst the many kind of like fun and frivolous moments, Jonathan's also kind of discussing his binge issue and his eating issues and eating disorder stuff and also talks to a neuroscientist about what snacking, especially like high sugar and high processed foods does to the brain. And that neuroscientist says things in the episode that have triggered people and people are very, very upset, especially because Jonathan is a representative of like, you know, body acceptance and body liberation and an excellent advocate in that area. And so a lot of people feel very let down that he allowed those things to be in his show. And it's not my fucking place to say whether those things should be in the show or not. But what I found frustrating is that a lot of the people talking about it online didn't even watch the episode. They've just kind of heard rumblings of an issue and then jumped on Jonathan and encouraged everyone else to not watch the show for themselves. And fair enough, if you might be triggered, don't. But it's become very like cruel and the attacks are becoming very personal. And it's like, we're we're seeing this all the time online. You've seen me talk about this before. Like, there are fragile people behind this. And just because they have a big platform, it doesn't make them like immune to really vicious personal attacks. And I know that it's easy to look at that person and be like, oh, well, they've got a much bigger platform than me. So I can say what I want to them because they have much more power and protection than I do. And I'm just little old me and they're big old them. But what we forget is that when you have that big platform and all those followers, you also have way more people sending you like really volatile abuse and, and then very like kind of, um, intense and emotional things. And so sometimes that can feel like a fucking tsunami hitting you, especially if you are someone who struggles with their mental health or struggles with addiction or struggles with any of the many things that, that Jonathan very openly talks about. And so what's fascinating, I think, is that I think this is one of the only times I've ever spoken to someone on this podcast right in the middle of something like that when they're in the middle of kind of being, I don't know, piled onto and to consider the humanity of the experience of the person being piled onto and then to hear their explanation and what their intentions were. And I totally agree that obesity is not a word anyone needs to be heard said on any TV show, unless we're talking about how fucking problematic that word is and the history of that word and the history of the fucking fat phobic medical industry. I totally get it. I totally get why people are upset. But I also do think that having watched that episode now, I, as a former binge eater and someone who, you know, still in recovery from an eating disorder, I personally found a lot of those things very interesting. And I thought there was some really valid stuff in there and I didn't find it mean spirited or cruel or or reckless personally that's not me to gas that's not my attempt to gaslight you and say that if you did like that's it's it's all subjective but I will just say at least watch it before you air your opinion about it online and please be uh, just a little bit like delicate and humane when you're talking to someone who's never shown us anything but good faith even if you're disappointed even if you're angry even if you're triggered take a step back and and Consider how you would feel in that person's position 
and hold them to account, but like do it kindly. And in this episode, I talk about it openly with Jonathan and I get an explanation out of him because I'm not attacking him. And maybe we would get more responses from people and more explanation and more sorries and more accountability if we didn't discard their humanity and just expect them to be able to take any amount of like pylon on the chin. If people are still human and if we actually want change and progress and answers, then perhaps we should also alter our approach because it's not we're not really getting very far, are we? It's not really working. As I spoke about this on the episode with Megan Jane Crabb, we're not nailing this. And so I chose to put this episode out now because we're coming up to Valentine's Day and I didn't want to do an episode with my boyfriend. I wanted to do an episode about a different kind of love. And and I think the love that Jonathan puts out in the world is really unique. And I love Jonathan. And I think a lot of this episode is about self-love and the love that we can show to other people on our behavior and how we can reflect on that. So anyway, I'm going to fuck off now and let you just listen to the episode. But I just wanted to say some of that because I think it's important and I really hope you enjoy it. And if you're mad at me for not just flagellating Jonathan, I, I can... I can take it Uh, and please feel free to message me about your feelings about it. And I'm sorry if I've in any way discredited your feelings. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to say that some of this has been really poorly handled online. Maybe not by you individually, but I was really shocked by how people treated someone so fast, uh, so badly when they've done so much good. And it made me feel really sad. Um, anyway, this episode is not just sad. It's full of lots of light and absolute, the, the glorious silliness that Jonathan can bring, but it also brings an extraordinary life story along with it. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. And uh, and tell me what you think. But for now, here is the absolutely, one, like the one of a kind, inimitable Jonathan Van Ness. Jonathan Van Ness, love of my life. Welcome to I Way. How are you? I'm so happy to finally be here. And I'm going to start off with the hard hitting. Can I talk? I'm going to start with yes. the hard hitting <laughs> journalistic questions right off the bat. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. In the spirit of getting curious, everything's a question. How does your fringe stay so perfect and well shaped <laughs> all the time? All the time. Your fringe only ever lays perfectly all the time do you do it yourself I do it myself but also do you actually like my fringe my bangs my fringe my bangs can you look at look at the look on look at how serious I look on my face the reason I ask I love your fringe (laughs) I feel as though my fringe is more divisive than the vaccine right now you know in the last couple of years there is so much debate over whether or not I should have this fringe what is underneath my fringe which obviously I've answered many times is a very small penis but uh, I'm not a size queen. I have no problem with that. Um, but also uh, people have a real problem with the parting in the fringe. It makes me want to put a wig cap on you and see what you look like with no fringe. Because I literally have no idea what you look like with no fringe. Because it's such like an iconic part of your look. I'll, te- I'll text you a picture. I'll text you a I'm picture. really curious to see, but I, I, I really do. I, do, I really do love your fringe. It's and so also funny. It really shows off how pretty your eyes are and how pretty your smile is. Also, sometimes I feel like there's something about when you have a fringe 
and also a really pretty neck because you have like this like long model like America's Next Top Model neck you know they're always like they're like don't lose your neck I feel like a good fringe like highlights your neck if you have oh, a pretty neck oh thank you um, okay well the answer to your question is uh, I just towel dry it and then I shape it when it's still just a tiny bit wet and it's also very thick so my hair I used I sacrificed a lot of my head hair in order to make sure that I had extremely thick bangs and so you just uh. kind of have to be comfortable with that decision yeah, it's like a deep, you have like a deep it's one. Like, it's like half my hair. hair. <laughs> it's in my fringe. And then I towel dry it up and down and then side to side and then up and down and then side to side frantically. I'll make a little video of my, my process. You so, should do a TikTok on so your fringe. Ridiculous. Do you round brush it? And is I it just, a round brush? No, it's not. It's a towel. I towel dry it with a hand towel. Uh, up and down, up and down. And then side to side, side to side, up and down, up and down, side to side. I'm so sorry to everyone who's listening to this. You don't give a fuck. And you don't but blow dry it at all? Not at all. I never let a blow dry anywhere near it because it makes it stringy, greasy. It's div- it divides the hair. It fucks with the shape. I shape wow. it with my fingers and then I get go about my fucking day. I you heard it here first. I go. wish I was. I wish I had. You said that this episode wasn't going to be as major as our getting curious because we wouldn't talk about poop. Shitting ourselves. (laughs) I say that we have raised the bar because that this what we just did is like that really fed my soul like on a deep hairdresser level like knowing (laughs) your process. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. It really fed me and I appreciate it. You use the pronouns he, she, or them. Which ones are your preferred ones? What are you feeling like oh, wait, today? I'm, I'm obsessed with this like preferred pronoun uh, dialogue that we're that we're having now. Um, but literally, my viva de resistance from this fucking horrific, violent gender binary that we live under. My way of saying like get fucked to it mm-hmm. is by I'm all of them and none of them. I right. refuse to give a preference. Like fair enough. So for me, you can literally he, she, they, me. I don't give a fuck which one you use for me personally. So I can be everyone. Great. I love that. I love that. I think you and I have quite a similar feeling around that for ourselves personally. Obviously, each to their own. Um, okay, I just wanted to check. So how have you been? It's been a fucking intense time. Really? Is there <laughs> been something going on uh, that I missed? <laughs> Have we all just went, you know, I I have this one joke in my standup that it hits really hard, like 40% of the time. I find that people need to be drunk to laugh, which is not (laughs) a great thing for the joke, but I'll tell you what it is. I'm HIV positive. This is my second pandemic. Okay. This is my second. I'm HIV positive. This is my second pandemic. And so you're not drunk and it's not nine o'clock at night, which is why you're not laughing. See how that joke is difficult. But the point is, is I think that for those of us that are HIV positive, it has, it obviously has been a really difficult time um, for everyone. Like COVID the last two years, so it's obviously affected everyone but also everyone very differently because we live in this, you know, hellscape capitalist system with no healthcare, um, you know, no guaranteed healthcare. So as my friend Celeste Watkins Hayes says about the HIV pandemic, yeah, you know, are we in it together? I guess, but we're all in the same ocean in very different boats. Some people are in yachts. Some people are like on the, you know, Jack from Titanic trying not to fall off the bed (laughs) fucking frame and he's frozen solid, you know, in the Arctic. So I've been, blessed you know these last couple of years obviously my life changed a lot in the last five years like I've been safe my cats are safe my dogs are safe I got four chickens my husband like we're safe it's been very you know very challenging in all of its own ways but I think for those of us that are 
like HIV positive or have some sort of like chronic illness that we have suffered at the hands of this government and these healthcare systems for years. It's like, I don't think we were as surprised. Like everyone else was like, oh my God, this is so fucked up. And we were like, it's Wednesday. Okay. This is, this is what happens when there's pandemics here. It's like everybody for themselves and it's fucked up. And you've seen that meme where it's like the person laying on the beach in the middle of the end of the world they're like, what was that like funny meme? It's like, it's like you just get used to like end times. You get used to the chaos. Yeah. And I think, I think a few different communities felt that way. Um, the disabled community definitely felt that way. They were just like, especially people who have physical disabilities that mean they can't leave their house. They were just like, welcome to my life, bitch. Like, this is what it's like. And you've all been fine with me not being able to leave my house. But suddenly your liberty is infringed upon and now it's a hysteria. What about the millions and millions of us around the world? Flip the table. Yeah, flip the fucking table. Um, Speaking of HIV, let's just jump in. Um, You were 25. You were super young when you found out, right? Mm -hmm. You weren't feeling well at work. You went to the doctor and you found out that you had HIV. Now you were in a very different living situation to the one you are in now where you have like more privilege, more access to healthcare, et cetera, more information. There's also just more information now, um, more vocal people around the subject. So 25 years old, what was it like back then compared to now? Well, we didn't have prep yet, so that was different. And will you explain what PrEP is just for anyone who is new to the subject? Yeah, so PrEP is pre-exposure phylaxis. So that's like a pill that you can take daily that will like prevent you from becoming HIV positive. So um, it's really, really, really highly effective. It's like 99 plus percent effective. Um, So basically, if you're HIV negative, you can take this pill every day and like, you know, you could get D down till the cows come home and you're not going to get HIV. You know, now you could get syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, or this really chic new STI that everyone's talking about, which oh, I think is called, it's called Shigella. And it's really making <gasps> a comeback in the UK and in the EU. Uh, you get it from like, you have to eat the ass of a, someone who's got the Shigella or, or I was just thinking about this, or you can, you don't even have to eat ass. Someone else could eat ass on someone and who has it. And then you just make, yeah, make out with them. You could do a little finger butt bang and then you go, shush, 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 Shigella, honey. So Shigella is like really up and coming right now. She's really having a moment of obsessed with Shigella. Um, we love Shigella. So you can still get all those other things. It does sound very European. I'm going to name my, if I ever have a kid, her middle name is going to be Shigella. Okay. <laughs> it's a gorgeous name. And... Yeah, so it was different. And and I think the other thing that was really different about, you know, me being 25 when I got diagnosed is we, we obviously, the term undetectable was a term that people knew of, but we didn't know that undetectable equaled untransmittable. That was not a fact that was like accepted by the scientific community at the time. And so just explaining that, if you're newer to understanding some HIV terms, undetectable uh, is is a way that we can describe a viral load. So the amount of HIV in your system is like how much viral load you have. And the higher your viral load, the more contagious you are and the more 
uh, negative impacts the HIV virus will have on your like long-term health and like the functioning of your systems, yeah. the higher your viral load. So when you achieve and maintain an undetectable viral load through daily adherence to um, ART, which is antiviral or antiretroviral therapy. So that's ART therapy. That's what you take once you're positive. Um, it kills the copies of the virus in your blood. So you become undetectable. So you don't have copies of virus in the blood and then you're not contagious sexually, which is really amazing. Yes. So it, it really changed the game um, for, you know, well, it, it changed a lot of the landscape for people living with HIV and the understanding around it. But there's obviously still a lot of stigma and um, a huge barrier in, in uh, access to medication and to testing. 100%. And one of the things that I think, I mean, just first of all, thank you so much for coming out and talking about it and and making that decision. It's a big fucking decision and and it shouldn't be such a big decision. It shouldn't be shocking when we reveal things about our health or about our lives or our mental health. Um, but thank you for doing that. Thank you for your advocacy and and for the many things that you are an advocate of. Like, I, I fucking... I fucking love you. Like I like a lot of my guests, but I fucking love you and you inspire me all the time. And I really look up to you and I love, I'm very inspired by the way you deliver information and how much like the bravery in which the bravery that it takes to reveal your whole heart sometimes. I'm not saying you do all the time. I'm sure there's a fake Jonathan that lives just like there's a fake <laughs> Jamila that lives uh, out there. But um, yeah, I just adore you. Um, and I really appreciate you teaching people about this. So well, the feeling is mutual, by the way. The feeling is very mutual. No, but I look up to you so much and so do so many people. And I'm also equally inspired by you. And I also think that, I mean, obviously I feel like I learned in, in interviewing you, your career started, you know, your host, actress, you do all these things. It's very rare for someone who has your platform and is and who has scaled the heights in the fields that you have to lend yourself to speaking about the myriad of issues that you open yourself up to speaking about. So I just got chills in my tricep saying that that's <laughs> really cool what you do too. So right back at you, sis. I think you, you are incredible and also very brave and also so fucking stunning. I'm going to stop talking about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. But like, I just, it's like every time I see you, I like forget that you're like such a model and you can't help it. You're very, very silly. Um, I like that we wore the same dress once. We did. Oh my God. What and a major I, fashion moment. A major fashion moment, but like, are we going to get in a fight about you wore it better? Okay. You, no, you, I did, I that, refused. Jamila, <laughs> that dress on you was serving high fashion to the highest degree. I'm just playing dress up. So, so back to what I was going to ask you about. So mm. the decision to talk publicly about HIV, what was that like? Was that hard or was that something you just felt very, very like galvanized and at peace with it wasn't at first it I was very unsure um because obviously like when I booked queer I like I didn't know if anyone would watch it I didn't know if it would be successful I didn't know if anyone would like care um Lol. well I mean well no literally I mean, no I mean no I'm just saying that how that turned out <laughs> oh oh yeah yeah because yeah. I mean I was like yeah so I had no idea so then I think after about um a year of you know Queer Eye came out in February of 18 and it was very early on in, actually it was, it was actually, no, it's by the summer. Now that I think about it, I started writing, I started just writing 
not even for a book, just writing. I was just like, my life has been turned upside down in these three months from like February to June of 2018 when the show came out. And so I just started to like creatively write like in journal, just like what happened today, like stuff that was going on. And then really soon into that, I started realizing that there were so many aspects of my life that I couldn't talk about openly because I hadn't shared my HIV status. Like issues of just like, no, I can't go to set that day because that's the only day that the doctor can get me in. And like my doctor's in LA, but we're in Atlanta and like, I can't miss my checkup. Like, I don't want to put my blood work off and I'm not going to go to the doctor here. Like I want my HIV doctor. So there's a lot of aspects that I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't talk about um, because people didn't know. And then I got really sick of feeling like I couldn't talk about my full experience Um because I, I I felt like I couldn't talk about it. And so then once I made the decision, it was a pretty like immediate. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to talk about it. And then I never really looked back. And then there was a lot of people that were like, uh, are you sure? You know, you don't have to, you know, you could do a memoir and not if you felt like it, like, you know, because mm-hmm. once you tell people, you know, you can't ever, you know, so you don't have to. And I was, <laughs> but for me, I was just like, I'm doing this. And I always felt like from a very early age being, obviously I was like bullied a lot. And I used to think a lot as a small child, like if someday I could do something so that this like didn't happen to someone else, I would do it. Like it would be worth it if I could make this not happen to someone else. Yeah. And so that's, oh, I think that was like, you know, at first becoming a public figure, I was like, oh, I don't want to share that part of myself because I'm scared. But then after I got a little bit more comfortable and, you know, being, so public facing, I was like that inner child voice started to come back out and that old feeling started to come back out. And then I was like, oh, I think this is some of my purpose. Yeah. And I mean, imagine if 25 year old you had had a book like that and a voice like that out there to look to rather than feeling maybe like you, I mean, I don't know, were you secretive with it when you were younger and when you were 25 and you found out, were you fucking terrified? And did you feel like you had any, did you feel like you had any representation? Let me think. 25. That was Rio. Uh, No, it wasn't Rio. What am I talking about? Get it together. That was London. Gabby Douglas had just won all around gold. Allie Raisman had just wowed the world with her stunning (laughs) alley pass. Um, (laughs) So was there any like queer gymnasts? No, I, I, no, I I mean, specifically within HIV of someone who was just like, I'm here, I'm living with it. I'm dealing with it. I'm not ashamed of it. Because there was no one that was on the national gymnastics team that was out with their HIV status. I didn't know because like they were my idols. (laughs) You know, I know. um, know. (laughs) No, I just like, I know. Well, one of the few people actually who I talk about a lot, who I think about a lot, who wasn't actively, uh, you know, when I got it, that was like in the media, but I remember from a young age, Rudy Galindo, who was the 1996 U.S. national figure skating champion. And then he went on to win bronze at Worlds that year. He was out about his HIV status and his uh, sexuality in like 1996, which was unprecedented. I remember mm-hmm. being really young and looking at him and being like, that is so... I remember specifically thinking when he talked about his HIV status, that that was like out of this world, scary, like really scary. But what I was more obsessed with was what a good figure skater he was. And I couldn't believe that, you know, cause you always heard of like HIV of being this like horrific mm-hmm. death sentence, but then you had this man like out here winning nationals. Like he was an incredible figure skater. So that was one of the first times where I was like, wow, that's really amazing. Um, and maybe there's like not a full story that we have, but no, I mean, there really wasn't anyone 
at 25 that. You just hit the fucking nail on the head though, just there, right? So that's the next step of representation, right? I feel as though the ways in which the media has allowed any representation has always been the tragic sob stories, the stories that we can, we can accept their terrible situation because we're mourning, we pity them, we feel sorry for them. And also we, then their sad story makes us feel lucky to not be in the same situation, you know, so therefore we can accept hearing these stories. We are only now moving into an era of marginalized people or people who are going through something that is unusual, thriving right in front of us. That is such a vital part of representation. You see it with disability, like the disabled person is always the fucking like sob story in the film who's just creating the emotional arc for the strong non-disabled character. Like that applies to everything. And so seeing you out there doing your fucking backflips and <laughs> and having your show and and meeting all of your idols and and achieving your dreams and doing stand up for, you know in front of ginormous audiences around the world like what what that does it's not it's so much more than just coming out with a diagnosis it's you are coming out and you are you are ensuring people that there is hope and that there is yeah. life beyond this and there is fabulousness beyond this. And that, I think, is what is so moving. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're gonna get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't gonna take it personally and they're not gonna hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a this summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. For your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
Your book is fucking staggering and amazing and like completely uh, switched my perception of you. I never had a bad perception of you, obviously, but I just presumed you were someone who'd never had any problems. Obviously not never had any problems because anyone who has grown up not straight, cis, etc., but um, will go through some issues. But I just thought, oh my God, you must have been raised only in love and just been so popular at school and just had a, because you project so much joy and happiness and like kind of almost like a, and I mean this in a good way, because I try to have this like a childlike innocence. There's so much of that in you. And so I presumed darkness had never seen your door. And upon reading your book, I found out that you're a fucking survivor. Jesus Christ, that song was written for you. <laughs> you, you have been through more than I could have ever, like, ever uh, anticipated for someone who seems so fucking unjaded. And I think that's kind of part of what I want to talk to you about today is like, is where you've been and how you've been through that to become someone who is so dedicated to joy. And to spreading joy and finding your own joy, which I will ask you to answer after you've had your inhaler. I needed a hit of the inhaler for that one, honey. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that light doesn't exist in the absence of dark. Rather, like mm-hmm. light exists because you've been through like darkness. Um, so I think that's definitely true of me. Um, I would also say that a lot of my experience has... Um, forced me to be very creative with accessing joy. Very creative with accessing mm-hmm. joy. So Were you always you know, able to? Because you talked about being bullied at school and stuff, yeah, which I was varying, as well. su- varying success. But yeah, I mean, even in like Quincy, I mean, I needed to like create something to do to get through the day. So like, that's where I invented like sock skating. And I would just do interpretive figure skating routines in my socks to like the entire Vanessa Williams album that had saved the best for last <laughs> on it. Like I would just like dance for like an hour and 45 minutes. And then I would just like watch uh first wives club for like seven hours. Like I would just like watch it over and over. So I always like had like good pop. I always had good means of like self-soothing. I also like in the days of VHS, I was the queen of taping every single figure skating, gymnastics or beauty pageant that was like ever on. So in my dark times, I could always just like binge like figure skating, gymnastics or beauty pageants, which like beauty pageants, I get it. But like for a queer person who's like, you know, growing up next to a cornfield, that glamour is like one of our only aspects of escapism when you don't know any better. So, you know, all I wanted to do was like put on an evening gown and like heels and just like walk up to a mark and go, hi, my name is Jonathan Van Esmus, Illinois. That was all I wanted. Um, and I daydreamed about myself doing that a lot. Oh my God. I, uh, I feel the same way. I didn't have any friends at school, like especially like primary school was unbelievably brutal for me. And so I used to also record gymnastics. I was obsessed with gymnastics when I was little and I used to watch the first wives club constantly. So uh, but instead of um, save the best or last, this is, I don't think I've said this on this podcast before, but I would wake up every single morning at like 5am and I would put on a tutu and I would dance to Rod Stewart's entire album 
all morning by myself and that would like make school bearable because I'd had such an amazing start to my day so like big apologies to my family who had to listen to Maggie Mae every day for like but also like what kind of fucking seven and eight year olds were we yeah I was I was really I was really stretching my brain to be like who's she gonna say like who was she dancing to and I was not expecting Rod Stewart I was not (laughs) Rod Stewart was just like he was like the voice of my my youth and by the way guys I'm not Oh, like the right age for that to be, for him to be the voice of my generation. But it's not, you're just, not. But there was something about it was the, it was the 90s and Rod just understood me. Okay. He knew my six and seven year old troubles and whoever Maybe Mag- it was his, like, was it his, his unapologetic frosted tips that attracted? <laughs> I didn't want to have sex with him. I just loved his music. No, no, He's no, just... like his energy. Oh, right. I, mean, I didn't mean like sex. I was just like, was it the was it like the highlights that you were just like, I loved like that dimension uh, highlight. I think it was like, just that's his, like his confidence. You know, he was a little man, and and a little man in this world is something that is hard to be accepted by. And Rod Stewart just bucked the fucking trend. He was like, fuck you, I don't care that I'm short. I'm fucking sexy as fuck, and I feel really confident, and I feel really brave, and. He just like, he's a short king. He's a short king who decided that before short kings were a thing. You know what I mean? So I think I I needed his like fighting spirit before I would go to school every day. I have a dear friend who that is her person. Like if she has since been divorced, but before she was divorced, if she ever ran into him, that was her (laughs) like one out in the marriage is like, and also this was like five years ago. So like, and even then, like she wants Rod's tour like really bad. Like wants to rip thy clothes off and S thy D. And that really confuses she me. She wants to get Schmigella. What was it called again? Yeah. Shigella. She just wants to get Shigella for Rod Stewart. No. <laughs> 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 but yeah, Rod Stewart, he does it for people. Yeah. He does. Oh my God. Well, I just, like I said, it wasn't even a crush. It was that he was my, he was just, he was my source of strength. Anyway, let's we'll move on. School, I I cannot fathom. I think because of my Twitter, people can imagine that I was probably quite lonely at some point because I have um, a socially inept vibe that I give off um, constantly. (laughs) (laughs) But with you, I can't, I cannot get my head around the idea that you were bullied. Was it just about sexuality? Was it about your personality? Like, what was it? Oh, everything. How can you? Oh, my God. I remember one, this one friend of mine said in school, she was like, you're the most popular kid in school. And I was like, really? And she was like, well, like, yeah, because everybody knows you, but no one likes you. But everybody knows who you are. And I was like, oh, Ow, Ty. That was like way harsh. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that was was like way harsh, Ty. Um, But yeah, it was like, if you can imagine me now, but 14. Yeah. That's what it was like. Thank God. Thank God that was then though, not like during Euphoria High. Can you imagine your 14 year old self at Euphoria High? I try and imagine it. I've had to stop watching the show because I'm like, I can't, like I get, I imagine myself going as a teenager going to that school. I was like, I would have been like, just hung, drawn and courted. Like I would have been, I would have, the first episode would have opened up at my funeral from an OD if I went to Euphoria <laughs> High School. Like, like that would have been the, that would have been the pilot. I, there's no way that I could have like, if I would have grown up in like a coastal big city, mm-hmm. forget about it. Like I, if, thank God I didn't get into like really bad drugs until I was like out of high school. Cause I would not 
have, I mean, most people can't even survive it anyway. And I made it up by the skin of my teeth. But if it would have started any sooner, like, forget about it. So during that period, like, how has that then gone on to mark the way that you are now? There's a feeling I feel like we both have of we don't ever want anyone to feel sad, but we also don't ever want anyone to feel alone. Is that why you are so extra inclusive in every fucking ounce of your being? Every strand of hair on your head and your face just feels like it's reaching out to other people to like bring them in. Yeah, for me, it's like, it's even worse than don't want people to lonely. I hate the idea of people suffering. It's even worse than being lonely. Like, cause it's, it's something I can control even less. You know, because it's like, if you're worried about someone being alone, you just like, go keep them company. Like, I have this, and I'm really working on that a lot in therapy because it's like, I cannot prevent people from suffering. And so that little kid in me that thought like, you know, if I went through this, that could prevent anybody, any other kid suffering, like then it would have been worth it. And that is like a really self-limiting thought belief because I cannot hold my, people will suffer. Buddha says to live is to suffer. Last time I checked, I'm not actually Jesus or Buddha. Like I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, Most queen from a cornfield yeah. trying, but I'm just trying my best, you know? And, I, and I'm not, I'm not a savior. I'm nobody's savior. I barely am able to save myself every day. So that is hard. Um, and I think that the way that it, the trauma from being so bullied manifests itself in my daily life is hypervigilance. It's um, a negativity bias that, you know, 85 people can say an amazing thing or like 95 people or however many comments are in the comments. If there's like one or two that is highlighting something that I didn't do right or could have done better or if, if they are saying that I've like hurt someone or, you know, missed the mark, whatever, the it cuts like a knife. Like it just cuts like a knife and I get so hard on myself and I, that is... That so being hyper vigilant to like negative feedback is a way that I think that it shows up in my life and um being just consumed by like negative feedback is or feeling extremely sensitive to bullying or like getting globbed onto even if there's like a constructive nugget in there. But it's I think that's like where it, I see it showing itself the most. Yeah, that's definitely life. gotten me in the past. And I think being outspoken public figures who also maybe speak before we're necessarily fully informed, you and I, um, because we just <laughs> want to help now. You know, we want to help now. We don't want to wait until the perfect words arrive or the perfect education arrives. We just want to jump in and just be like, fuck, people are in trouble. Like, how can I help? How can I use my privilege? And then sometimes we just, you know, fall over a little bit. Um, and also, so than you. but also, but also, no, but it's like, but not, it's like, but curiosity, like, are like, I just feel like there are so many ways that we can heal. There are so many, like, also not to keep quoting Buddha, but like, there's another one where like, there's a, you know, a million ways up the mountain. Like there's so many ways, so many paths that we can take. And just because one path works for you, doesn't mean that it does, you know, we all have our own path. And I think we're just so quick to like, try to pull a bitch back. Like get back here. Like you're, you don't know what you think. It's like, it's just so mean. mean. Like, And to be cognizant of like where someone's coming from is really important too. Yes. I say this all the time that we don't know how to separate ignorance from evil. Like we've completely lost our critical faculties for like a generation who think that we're such great critical thinkers. We identify everything as deliberate, which is so ridiculous when we don't notice our own accidents or our own biases or our own things. But in other people, we're just like, you must have meant that. You must have known exactly what you were doing and what that was going to cause. And you are bad. And anytime I thought you were good, 
I was being tricked by you into thinking you were good or smart or decent. Actually, you're bad. We can't like, well, there's no, we're, we've lost gray. Gray is just not a thing. But and I always anyway. liked gray. I always thought gray was like kind of gray a great so color. Chic. You know, you can, so you can do a charcoal, <laughs> whereas you can do like a lighter one. Like there's all these, you know, gorgeous grays. <laughs> I fucking love you. I fucking love you so much. Okay, so this is a mental health podcast and I would like to ask you, like, what would you say your journey has been like with your mental health? Obviously, we have touched on the fact that you have been through some really serious shit with your health and and childhood bullying, teen bullying, being gay in the middle of America uh, in a time where it wasn't yet totally accepted everywhere. Although you had a very, very supportive mum who is still your best friend. And and I love that. And that makes me feel yeah, very so reassured about the world. Um, but... But talk to me about your mental health. How's, how's it been? Tiny yeah, question. I, mean, I think one thing I talk about in my first book, and I talk about it more in, in my new um, essay book that's coming, is like our, my mental health. It's one thing that like, I wish I could just like put it in like a box and like put it up on the shelf, you know, put a bow around it. I did it. It's healed. Actually, it's right here. Look how good it looks. I put it in here, my <laughs> mental health, and it, you know, then I put it up here and I never have to look in there again. Like an I just, urn, like a sheet Yeah, I sorted urn. it out yeah. and it lives up there. And I, but that's not how mental health is. It's like a constant relationship that I'm like constantly checking in with. To be perfectly um, honest, right here, right now, how's my mental health? I've been better. I feel like, um, you know, I just, Getting Curious just came out on Netflix. It's my first executive producing project. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think that a lot of people... Nobody, actually, nobody will ever know, other than me, how hard I had to fight to make this series, how patient I had to be, how um, strong, resilient. Um, it took a lot to get here. Can I ask and why, I, or is that like personal stuff? Well, no, I mean, just to be a queer, femme-presenting person, to to book Queer Eye, period, that I had to beat literal thousands of people uh, Mm -hmm. thought I would never do it, thought they would never pick me, never thought that I would get that job. I had to face down like so many demons just to even do that, like just to go to the audition. Then to go into a situation where like, you know, in recovery um, from drug use and I'm moved, like when I booked Queer Eye, part of my uh, recovery was that I needed to have like four nights a week at home alone. I used to suffer a lot from like social anxiety and feeling like if I didn't have plans and like if I wasn't going out on Friday and Saturday night, that I would never find a partner. People didn't like me. I was spending all my time at the salon. I had no time for fun or like social life. So I, I really felt like I had to go out every time someone asked, but I was so burnt out. And I kept relapsing and I couldn't get away from like my bottom line behaviors, which, you know, behaviors I didn't want to do. So then I realized. You mean addiction? Yeah. 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 You know, with drugs and sex. So Mm -hmm. I realized through therapy that I was like, oh, I used to be terrified of being alone. But around right around when I got HIV, I started realizing I actually liked myself. I actually liked to spend time with myself and nobody else. Like solitude was a really important thing for me. And once I started really making time for myself where it wasn't about me going to the salon for my clients and it wasn't about me working out so that someone would want to fuck me. It was just like time for me to be with myself. Um that was when I was like, oh, I, I like myself. I know, I understand what solitude is. This is really important to my well-being. And 
like, and pattern and like routine was really important to me. Like knowing that my cats are going to be home, knowing what time I was doing everything, knowing what time my day started. That was also important to recovery. And when you get on a TV show, it doesn't matter what time you want to start work or where you want to live. I mean, I've lived in Atlanta, Philadelphia, Kansas City, New York in four years. I, you know, switch cities every single year. That's really hard on you. It's like, it's, it's not easy. And then to have a podcast for six years and then turn it into a Netflix show is not easy. You gotta, I mean, I've, you hear no so many times. And especially if you want to do an episode about something like the gender binary, or you want to talk about uh, your relationship to snack food and binge eating, it's kind of an uphill push to get to be able to put to put that stuff on a streaming platform in 190 countries. Um, so then when you even want to do your own first show, getting it greenlit in the middle of fucking COVID is... I was like, can we do it later? Like, can I do it like after? And it's like, we're not asking when you would like to do your show. It's like shit or get off the pot. Like we're giving you this chance now. There's no guarantee that the chance comes back later. So it's like, okay, all right. Well, I guess I'm going to do this now. So then it's like two months, you know, you're putting together your pre-production and you're like, well, I hope I don't kill anyone with COVID because I wanted to learn about uh, the binary or skating or bugs or whatever the fuck. So, you know, anxiety sweats, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 12, 1, 2, 3, every day for like two months uh, when we shot Getting Curious, which was the end of 2020. And then we did two more months in February and March. We took a little break because I was like, these numbers, <laughs> I'm scared. Um, COVID, it seems like it's everywhere. And can we at least just like get the teachers and like the medical professionals vaccinated um, before we go back out and Netflix and everyone was really supportive of that. So we took January off, let the numbers like get a little bit more normal. And then we jumped back in, we finished. And I was really proud of ourselves because we got through all of it with no COVID cases Everybody was happy, health. Well, everyone was healthy, safe, mostly happy. Obviously, creating TV, you never, you know how it is. It's, <laughs> it's a hard, it can be hard sometimes. But yeah, I mean, I really poured like every single aspect of who I am, every single thing I've learned in this industry, behind the camera, on camera, over the last 10 years into this show. And now I've been talking about it nonstop for two weeks and like 12 hour days, just talking about it till you're blue in the face. And it feels like I'm pushing a boulder up a hill. And I am, it's very vulnerable putting yourself out there like that. It's vulnerable in yeah. a way that I've never done before. I watched the whole thing over the last couple of days and, um, it is a very vulnerable show and I love the way that, and I'm not going to force you to talk about it loads, but I'm just going to talk about it uh, so you can just chill and breathe. But it is a very, very thoughtful show. You're incredibly vulnerable in it and you um, you put so much important information. Like the gender episode is so excellent, Jonathan, and so important and so many, it's such like a, it's a, these bite-sized chunks of so much information delivered in a way that you just don't realise that you're learning. You know, you're just, and, and you, you feel so, as the viewer, I feel so supported by you and I don't feel stupid for not knowing these things because I feel like I'm learning on the journey with you. And there's such a, it feels like anyone of any age from any area, from any place around the world would be able to watch this and find it accessible. So well done. And I feel like it's a great show that even if you're someone who already knows loads about gender or knows loads about binge eating or all these kind of different things, this is the show that you can send to your grandmother who doesn't get it. You know what I mean? This is the show that does the work for you. 
that means that you don't have to go and do all this explaining anymore because Jonathan went in a pandemic (laughs) (laughs) risked his life to be able to uh to put that information out there so really well done and I think as I said earlier like the way you communicate all information and have done for years now is really really special and in a time of like massive pretentiousness and elitism and moral superiority to have someone make just have someone weaponize silliness as a way to force people to engage and learn is just super special and there aren't a lot of people brave enough because they're too insecure to be able to do that. And so I just wanted to be able to say that to you, having just watched the whole thing. Am I crying? <laughs> oh, really? Oh, God, I thought you, I thought that face meant that you were just like, shut up, bitch. No, 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 I'm just, no, but like that, it's like, my mental health is good. I just feel like... Oh, bless Bernie you, Brown you actually say. are crying. <laughs> no, I, am. I just, I just am like, I just have, um, I think I have a little vulnerability hangover. Yeah, totally. And now it's like, it's been out for a week and I'm like, I feel, this is such a downer, but I'm just going to say what I feel. You can and say whatever have you to want. Be yeah. I just feel empty. I feel a little empty and I feel really sad for feeling empty because I feel like I should be so happy and I feel like I should be so proud and what is it that's making you feel empty that I feel like it's just not I feel like sometimes it just can't be good enough like I just put out this series and Sean Penn is doing what Sean Penn's doing and people are writing articles about what I fucking said about Sean Penn on Twitter versus the fact that like, I just put out this series that feels so much more important. Yeah, totally. Uh, Totally. um, I know what you mean. But also look, I hope you can access pride about it, but on a more kind of like psychological level, have you ever actually felt like super proud of something or do you feel like that's something that we are programmed to feel it's like you're going to when this thing comes out or when you win that award or when you achieve this much money or you buy that house or you get that fucking person to have sex with you you will feel <laughs> everything do you know what I mean like you'll feel so much I often feel like a fucking mutant who then feels very disappointed in myself and ungrateful and like and confused and detached from everyone because I win awards or I'm part of amazing things and I I do do great things. And regardless of how good or bad the reception is, I just don't feel anything. And maybe that, maybe that's normal. And maybe that's why we have to drink so much when we're celebrating because mm. we don't necessarily actually feel the euphoria that we think we will. And look, if you're someone who's out there who does feel that euphoria, that's amazing. But almost everyone I know, when they, I mean, I've got, my boyfriend makes these albums that he spends two, three years pouring his heart out into these albums, like working at it day and night, risking his health, not sleeping, not eating, not seeing anyone, completely obsessively like mining his own soul for, for music. And then he puts it out into the world and obviously like he loves his fans and everything, but there is always this like huge gap that brings him to tears where he's like, I anticipated so much and I was so nervous and so anxious and now I just feel nothing. And I want you just to know that there's nothing wrong with you and it's not a reflection of the work and it's not a reflection of <laughs> people online that, that it's okay to just 
finally feel really, what you're feeling is just a, is, hopefully it's an absence of anxiety and it's making mm. you feel a bit dead. You're just mm. not panicking anymore. It's out there. Everyone I know, like when I tweet, when I Instagrammed about it, everyone was like, I love this show so much. I've been watching this all day with my kids. Like this show is so amazing. Like just endless people writing to me about like how great the show is, how much they love it. Some people weren't happy with the dietitian. Some people weren't happy with the dietitian. Although I, I could understand some aspects of where she was coming from. I think we always hate the O word, obesity. We're never happy with that word. But other than that, like I could see where she's coming from. Some of that shit was just facts about what happens to your brain during sugar. That is important information for us to have. And that's also part of what this feeling is actually coming from. Because like, obviously I've seen that feedback. I've yeah. had, you know, thousands of people uh, in my fucking comments Um that's what Especially because I mean. like, you're such a body positive icon. Right. And so feeling like I've let people down or have like hurt them uh, is hard. And also having people blatantly not watch the episode and see like a clip or see what someone said on Twitter about something and then go on to make a post that's like really vehement and mean and then getting tagged by like all of these other people being like how could you do that like who do you think you are like as as if I'm not someone who's been struggling with eating disorders my whole life Mm -hmm. and that's why I'm talking about it look could we always learn more for sure could we have included more modalities for sure but if you want to go try to book your first show in Manhattan in December of last year. Tell me how many nutritionists there were around to talk to you. Dr. Nicole Avina is amazing. She's literally given her whole life to like trying to help people. So yeah, but I mean to, it just hurts. Like the negative feedback is really hardcore, especially when it's like not um, reflective on like, yeah. And yeah. also when, when she said the obesity epidemic, even because I watched the episode, obviously, like 50 million times editing it. And I came back to that sentence so many times. Right. And I was like, should I lose it? Do I cut it out? But the reason I felt like I should keep it is because it was so important for me to say to her and have her acknowledge that we have to take the onus off of individuals off yeah. of individuals. The guilt and shame has to be off of the people because these industries have literally used mm-hmm. the ingredients in the food to make it last as long as possible using the lowest quality ingredients so that it will get us hooked. Like that is a part of the cycle. But I wanted to be able to say that it's not our fault. And the way that, and I felt like without, because I felt her wanting to go like, I, I was like, does that mean that it's people or is this systemic or systemic? Yeah. And I wanted to, and I wanted to hear her say it's systemic and without being able to talk about obesity at all and just omit that it didn't make sense. And so I mean, I cringed in the room when she said it, I was like, oh, when I watched it, but I felt like it was, it was the conversation that happened and I wanted to keep it true to that conversation that happened. But that doesn't mean that there's not other ways to heal. That doesn't mean that there's not other types of nutritionists and other schools of thought to access healing. It's not one size fits all ever mm-hmm. on anything. Um, and so the lack of like understanding or like compassion around that and to like vilify me, the series, this doctor, like Dr. Nicole Avina, like that all has just, that has been hard. And also like, yeah, that's just been hard. Like 
I just have had a lot of people tagging me. I stopped taking DMs from people a few years ago because it was like really impacting my mental health. Mm. Um, so I turned off like you can't like DM me if I don't know you or if we haven't like messaged before, but you can still like tag me in stories. So like the amount of stories that I've been tagged into people just like really twisting that episode, really twisting that segment. This is what I was going to say, right? Okay, so I I was almost like, I was scared to watch that episode because I was just like, oh, please, please don't be as problematic as everyone's saying this is. Like, please, 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 God, please. Because I just know you to to not be that way. I know you to be honestly just like such a delightful and like positive and neutral and and safe space regarding body image. And um and so I watched it and and I was very surprised at how much less problematic it was in reality than the way people made it out to be online. Now that's not to say that you do not have the right to be triggered by whatever the fuck it is that triggers you totally. And the word obesity in and of itself can almost make people then just hear white noise as to everything that's said afterwards, because it's such a, an awful and like abusive sort of term so often. But every, most of the things that you two said in that episode are all things that I've had NHS doctors say on this podcast who are not here to ever police anyone about their body or blame anyone for their weight or say that weight is necessarily even remotely equated to um to your health but just people talking about the food industry that's what I feel like most of the onus was on in that episode. I feel like so many of these people talking about the show haven't actually watched it. You were talking about the literal neurological impact of sugar. You were talking about what, how it's used. Sometimes so much sugar is pumped into food, especially in places like America, to cover up the taste of the chemicals they are using to preserve that food or to... I don't know, fill it full of shit that's going to make the chicken bigger so they can get more chicken for less money. Like... These were important facts to understand. And and I've got a pretty like diehard, watchful of insensitive commentary audience, right? On this, this podcast that we all know what is okay and what is not okay. And no one had a problem with that doctor or nutritionist or anyone saying those things on this very podcast that's called I Weigh, literally inspired by the body neutrality movement. So while I'm not saying it's not, it's never my place to ever tell anyone how to feel. I do feel like a lot of that was just re- like deliberate misunderstanding of what was being said. You came from no place of shame and you even end the entire episode on a kind of like a place of moderation, which is your fucking choice to make. You're not telling everyone else what to do necessarily. Like I said, if you'd had maybe more time in the episode, you could have included more things if you weren't shooting in a pandemic. Yeah, sure. But I do just want to just like, and I'm not saying this just because I like you, because I I don't do that. I don't play favorites. I'm just saying that like for anyone who's listening out there who's maybe avoiding the episode because you've heard it's going to be that, like it, most of what happens is, is science, science and neurology and literal scans being held up just about the impact of sugar on the brain. This is not a like shaming people. Uh, Definitely wasn't episode. the intention. No. Definitely wasn't the intention. And I also, yeah. And I mean, the feedback has been like so overwhelmingly positive, but because I've been in recovery, because I struggle with binge eating to think that I like hurt or yeah. and the, the amount of people that were like, you did fat people dirty. You fucked up fat people. You've perpetuated fat phobia. You've perpetuated racism. You perpetuated anti-blackness. You perpetuated, I mean, Shit. the amount of things that people have told me that I perpetuated in that episode in the last week, it's enough to 
I don't want to be dramatic, but it's a lot. And if I wasn't as strong as I am. No, I know what you're saying. And I wish people would think about that because they really don't. And I've had to block so many people that then go screenshot that I blocked them. And then they put it on Twitter and they're like, I didn't think, you know, X, Y, Z would, you know, make him block me. And it's like, do you realize how many people tag me and screenshot that to me and put it on their stories and call me all sorts of stuff? And you didn't even watch these episodes, like you don't, you, and in fact, there's one post in my mind that really sticks out where this person didn't even spell my name right. And then made this whole meme vilifying me, vilifying my work as an artist, vilifying my TV show, doesn't spell my name right, and is actively encouraging people in their comments to skip the show. Yeah. Don't watch it. It's not a safe space. So for, for me to have people telling me that I'm not a safe space that haven't watched the show... And then you just think like, wow, like, I really was risking my life to do this. I risked my career to do this. Like, I put everything in, every bit of who I am into the series and to just watch people, like, lift up their skirt on Instagram and Twitter and just shit all over it and question, like, my humanity or, like, my heart over it. It's really left me in, like, kind of a fucked up space. I tough. I mean, Jonathan, I fully fucking understand. Like just two years ago, I must, you know, everyone knows on the podcast, I almost took my life uh, in 2020 because of how much I got dogpiled onto. You and I have sent each other random texts. We're not like close friends. We've met each other out and about a few times, but we'll text each other to sometimes being like, should we leave Twitter? Because it is a <laughs> heinous face that terrorizes both of us. Um, and that's also, you know, maybe we shouldn't be on that platform if we cannot take how vicious it is and that's sad that that is a choice especially when that's a part of your career but maybe that's just where we're at but um I fully fully get it and um I am really sorry and like I said the the for anyone with food issues any episode about food 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 issues what it does scientifically to your body that shit can be hard so I do want people to like cautiously move towards it but to know that it is that you should at least give it your own shot before you could then go and talk about it publicly online. Because and the whole point of, of the snacks episode, at least for me as someone who's struggled, because I mean, I really worked hard in all the episodes to keep it from like my experience. This is about my experience, not yes. about everybody at large and yeah. what you should do specifically. It's about my experience and like how I see the world. Yeah. You and, and I both and, have a history of binge eating, like severe. Binge and that's eating. why in the, in the episode, and this is something that has just been like, Ooh, but my therapist said to me, she said, because you know, I'm in recovery. And so I, I've said to a few people, like, if you see this episode, you'll see that I say I've been to rehab. You'll see that I say I'm in recovery. You'll see that I say that I have a lot of shame around talking about these issues. So why are you shitting on me? <laughs> like, I'm out in a vulnerable place. Like, why are you shitting on me? And it's like, I didn't say it in so many words, but and then my therapist was like, queen, just like you're in recovery, so are these people. They're in recovery. Mm -hmm. And hurt people hurt people. So don't take it so personally. Like, you're not a person to someone on the internet who just sees this show, sees that you have, like, they don't know the background. They haven't read the book. They don't listen to I the was podcast. About to say, they don't like, see the work I that I do. I was about to say the impact that having the book read on, like, my perception of you and, like, how 
not only strong you are, like unbelievably strong, but ridiculous, made of steel, but also how fragile you must also be at that same time. And I think most of the strongest people in the world do have immense fragility. I consider myself very strong and I'm fucking porcelain a lot in many places, you know. <laughs> With skin like yours, honey, you better be, I mean. <laughs> but um, it does... It is like a reckless and it's it's interesting to talk to you right in the middle of it. It is like this reckless thing where people are just like, just don't take into account like the fact that you have mental health struggles. You have immense fucking childhood trauma that you're walking, working through. You have your own health issues. You also have your own eating disorder issues. You only have your own body image issues. Like we're talking about it now. You're not shying away from talking about it. You didn't just shy. In fact, I didn't even ex- expect for us to talk about this. I just was making a passing comment about that moment. I had no idea we were going to talk about this. And you leaned in and told me your thought process, why you did it, what you wanted to do with absolutely no like defensiveness. The, the way that we go about expressing our concern or hurt towards a creator means that we almost never get the authentic explanate the authentic and honest and like actually like illuminating explanation just now without even even trying you just talked about it and now like i see where you were coming from and now we all see a bit more of where you were coming from no one's going to get that from you on twitter they're just going to get blocked because they come at you so fucking violently this just this this culture of how we now like our pitchfork generation just means that we're not having any answers. And now people are too scared to even give their real answer because sometimes your apology gets even like further dogpiled. So you just want to disappear and like hide. Like I can see it. You want to like hide in your, in your closet right now. You probably want to I'm just stay there. I'm literally hiding in my closet. You're literally and, like, <laughs> and it's so funny that you say pitch for it because it's like when you say like, how does your bully sh- or how does like growing up being bullied show itself now? And it's like, I got bullied so much. Like I used to say like, I got, I grew up getting chased around with pitchforks. So it's like now when someone comes at me like that, it makes me really want to fight. Like it makes me want to defend it. It's like I got pushed around for so long. It makes this like protector want to come out and it makes right. you want to get defensive. But it's like, I actually do have a lot of curiosity around my food stuff still all the time. So like, mm-hmm. I am curious about intuitive eating. I am curious about health at any size. I actually like was just starting to kind of learn about them hideously right after we wrapped because my mom started getting really into it. And then I was like, oh my God, what's like, I just, I didn't know. And so I'm so excited to, to share more about it now and to learn more about it now. But it's like, you just don't know what you don't know. And just because someone doesn't know something doesn't mean that they're like an evil POS, you know? No, exactly. And also I think it comes from that extra thing of like, you came out, you spoke about HIV, you spoke about, you speak about trans rights all the time. Like you put yourself out there all the time regarding trans rights and you keep people, like I learn a lot about what's happening in legislation directly from you. You're one of the people who will sometimes like, if I don't see it anywhere else, like, because you'll be, because you have such a big platform, I'll find out like, oh fuck, this law is happening or this is what's being taken away from people. Okay, shit, we all need to like move. Because you've come out there and dared to do good, people are like, ah, Jonathan thinks that they're a really great fucking person. And now they've made a mistake. Proof Mm. that they have no goodness in them. They aren't as great as they said they were. Whereas you never actually said anything of the sort. All you've done is try and show people your marks, your pain, your trauma, your like mistakes, your like journey, you're super vulnerable. I've never once seen you behave as though you are better than everyone else or you know more. Like if anything, you kind of, I don't even mean this 
this is so clumsy, but if anything, I think you sometimes pretend to be less intelligent than you are. Not pretend deliberately, but I mean, you sometimes, you know, hide your, you know what I mean? Like you hide your intelligence sometimes in a, in a way that I think many entertainers do because sometimes that's just funnier. Um, but so I don't understand this thing that we have of when someone does something good or tries to be good, if they make a mistake, we then go for them harder than the people who do nothing or who actively do bad. We just let them get away with whatever because we have such low expectations for them. You can't put your own high expectations on someone else and project your own like expectation of them onto that person and then punish them for your own perception of them that they have not necessarily put out about themselves. I think that's just, it's a whole other conversation. I didn't expect for us to talk about this. I wanted to mostly just talk about how lovely your I show was. I feel safe with you though, Queen. I feel safe with you. And so I felt like I needed to, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just, this is my last official press day for getting curious. And so I felt like in these last two interviews, I'm like, I'm just going to get vulnerable. I'm going to use them as my therapy too and talk about what's bothering good for me. You. No, but good so, for you. This is symptomatic you. of a bigger issue and and I'm really like touched that you felt safe to talk about it with me and like I said you just gave me a 360 answer and even included the fact that you learned more since filming that unfortunately that wrapped like a fucking year ago so a lot has (laughs) happened in the world one learns a lot look at how much we've learned in the last year or two like our update our information is fully updated Um, fully updated it's insane it's like we're becoming new people every single year and shedding skin of like old disinformation so you've even said that you've gone on to learn more since then that means that maybe that's going to come out in essays from you maybe you'll make a new updated episode in season two or maybe enough people won't or maybe enough people won't be pissed and will actually like watch season one that'll get a season two so I can talk about it (laughs) I know I feel the same way about so many projects (laughs) I fully understand I personally really enjoyed this show and I think it is a lovely needed thing and I think like I said it is the unpretentious and fun and joyous ageless silly and yet also deeply serious and and meaningful um sort of just like dose of joy that we need it made me feel like really happy before I was going to bed last night on May 10th Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theatres everywhere This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, I've had loads of your time. And so I just want to wrap up with a few happy things. Oh, I love important that. things. Yes. I want to know, as someone who has gone through so much in your life, things that we didn't even touch on, um, because it was, just, it was a lot happening. My bad. No, not <laughs> your bad. Not your bad. No, no, no. But also like some shit is honestly so heavy. I also don't want to like re-traumatize you with it right now, but you've been through a lot in your life. You've come out of it as, as someone who's still, you know, working their own mental health out and stuff. But what, through everything you've learned do you hope to see more of in the world? 
It's a big question. Just take a second. But I'm just saying through all these lessons that you've had, like, and everything you're seeing out there currently and online and offline, what are some of the things that you hope for? Forgiveness, more forgiveness, more compassion. And I even take that on myself too. Like there were so many times in the first year of me being famous where I would like go on Twitter and like, and also it was always people who I look up to and like more. So I guess I can give myself a little bit of like, oh my God, if they're really mad, that means because they liked you and they looked up to you and now they're disappointed, which makes a bigger reaction, you know? Like I definitely like... It did that to several people in my first year. I gave criticism or feedback to someone um, very publicly and didn't sit with it longer. Like, didn't look at the breadth of their work. Don't know their life. Don't know all the things that they do. So why are you airing your opinion in this way? And in my case, I had a much bigger following and a much bigger platform than what most of these people you know, that have done it to me are. So mm-hmm. I've been on both sides of it. And so it's not just because I've had something like I, con- I've not constantly, but I've often think about those times in 2018 where I saw something online, didn't like the way it read, made me feel some kind of way, made me feel betrayed. And so I went on Twitter and was like, nah. um, and yeah, so I, more forgiveness, more compassion from everyone. 100%. And then when it comes to... Awareness around HIV and how people think about that, understand about it, learn about it. Because I think people still tiptoe around the subject. I feel myself still tiptoeing around the subject, which makes me feel like annoyed with myself and disappointed. Um, uh, what do you hope for with that? Like, is there any like thing further that you feel like we need to do, that we should do as as people who have it or do not have it? What do you hope for when it comes to that? Well, I love that we're, you know, like um, Moderna just started their first like trials for um, a vaccine. I think PrEP is really amazing. You know, like helping to keep people who are HIV negative negative is really important. But if you look at the funding, there is so much more funding for like keeping negative people negative versus like helping find a cure or finding like less harmful drugs for people who are positive. So like improving the lives of people who currently are living with HIV and who have been for in some cases like 30 and 40 years. Um, there needs to be a lot more research. We need to like get a lot closer. Um, I mean, they did just do injections, which is kind of fierce. I mean, there is some, but it's just like, we just need more research, more funding. Last but not least, you're going through a lot right now, right? And it's been a wild ride for the last six years and a wild ride for your whole life as anyone who is smart enough to read your book, go and find your book and read it for a very inspirational time. Um, What do you want for you now? What are Um, some happy hopes for Jonathan? I just want want self-care time, just some downtime to be with my family and my husband and to just have some self-care time for my nervous system. So self-care. Which is going to happen this weekend. Amazing. Are you doing anything in particular that we need to know about? The Olympics, the Olympics, just figure speaking, the Olympics. Oh my God. (laughs) Great. Okay. In the last couple of seconds that we have left, will you tell me, what do you weigh? I weigh legislative progress. Mm -hmm. Huge, Um, major. Really, I weigh um, integrity. Um, like my integrity and my relationship to my integrity is really important to me. Um, I also, how do I say like, I weigh, want to adopt 50 million cats, but don't want to be on hoarders. 
is that one that I can end on? I just like that. Yeah. I, I weigh how much I love cats. I think that's a lovely thing to weigh. Do you weigh anything else? Just how much I love you. And that I'm really grateful that you have me on the podcast. And it was really good to catch up. I love you too. And we'll speak soon and let's hang out sometime. Okay. I would love that. I would love that. Okay. Lots of love. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWeigh. Lastly, over at iWeigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWeighPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. Someone wrote in saying, I weigh my independence, my intelligence and success in school, my music and my love for my family and friends. Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.